All right, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're going to go right into our message here this evening, in part because we're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. And what we're going to do a little bit differently is how we are going to approach uh, this particular passage. Uh, as you know, as I have been preaching here for many years now, our strong preference is to preach uh, expositorily, that is to take a passage of God's word and simply let it speak to us. Tonight, I want to do something a little bit differently. I'd like to preach a topical message, not one that I often do, not one that I am uh, resolutely opposed to. I think it has its uses, though I think we are often safest when we are working through a passage together. And to introduce it, turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and we will start in verse number 1. Luke chapter 11. And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he goes on to give more instruction on this matter of prayer. Now this morning as we went through our passage in the book of Mark chapter 1, we saw a very practical specific example of Jesus withdrawing himself from the busyness of his life very early in the morning. In fact, the Bible says while it was before, a great while before day, while it was still dark, well before dawn, after a late night of healing, before the night before, Jesus gets up early, undoubtedly cutting short his sleep, his natural sleep rhythms, gets up and goes to pray. And here we have in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' example of prayer, he was praying when he ceased. One of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. The subject of our message tonight is being taught by Jesus on the subject of prayer. Being taught by Jesus on the subject of prayer. And what I want to do tonight is not look at the examples of Jesus' public prayer. There is an example that Jesus teaches and gives us of public prayer in front of many people. There is another example that I want to look at tonight, an example of private prayer. What can the example of Jesus Christ teach us about how to pray and how in particular to pray privately? Not just how to pray privately, but why? Why to pray privately? The title of the message tonight is simply Christ's Example of private prayer. Christ's example of private prayer. And we're going to look tonight, use in particular the book of Luke. Because if you were to look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would find that this book, the book of Luke, 
focuses most intensely on Jesus' prayer of all the other Gospels. John also focuses on prayer. In fact, sometimes giving, as a, for example, in John 17, his high priestly prayer, a significant example of what he actually said. But Luke, in particular, wants to emphasize when he prayed and the different examples he gave us of this kind of private prayer. So our text tonight is really going to be multiple passages in Luke as we try to look at the broad uh, view of Jesus' example of private prayer and see how we can apply it to our lives this evening. First of all, let's turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, again, as I said, we will be mostly in this book, in this gospel tonight. Luke chapter 5, and let's start with verse number 12. Verse number 12. And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, just as an aside, we're going to look at this passage Uh, 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 the other telling of this same story in Mark, the book of Mark, next Sunday morning. So we're going to be looking at this story a little bit more, but notice verse 13, and he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now, if you participated in our service this morning, you heard in Mark chapter 1 that when Jesus was at Simon Peter's house, the entire city came out to see him. The entire city showed up because they had heard the fame that he had. So this is, again, just another example here in Luke chapter 5 of this kind of situation. Now, look at verse 16. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Now, if you like underlining or highlighting or circling things in your Bible, highlight that word, withdrew. Withdrew. He withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. The first example of Jesus' private prayer for this is this. It is separated prayer. Separated prayer. Or you might say solitary prayer. Prayer, whichever one is more resonating with you tonight, separated prayer. He withdrew himself. Now let's think again just really quickly about the context of his prayer. Jesus withdrew himself from people. An entire crowd was coming to him daily wanting to be healed, wanting relief from what they were experiencing for themselves or for their family members. His fame went abroad. Great multitudes came together to, be he- to hear and to be healed by him. And what was Jesus' response? He withdrew. There is a time for you and I to withdraw even from people people who are coming to hear the word, people who are coming to receive ministry of the word. In other words, Jesus didn't just withdraw from the people. He withdrew from his ministry and he withdrew from his productive busyness. He had things to do that were a part of his calling. This crowd comes around him and his response is to regularly withdraw himself into the wilderness alone and pray. 
And we need to grapple with that because as we talked about this morning, one of the greatest things that holds us back from prayer is being busy. We are too busy to pray. And as I said this morning, Jesus shows us that it is exactly, precisely, 100% the opposite. You are, when you are busy, you are too busy not to pray. Not too busy to pray. Busyness should drive you to greater investment and focus in prayer, not less. You literally cannot afford not to pray when you are busy. And Jesus himself shows us this example. He has people lining up, he's got ministry opportunities, and intentionally he says, I am going to pray. Now why did he withdraw to a wilderness? A deserted place. Precisely because he needed to be alone. In fact, this morning in Mark 1, we saw the fact that Jesus went out a great while before day when he was pitch dark, well before dawn, after a late night the night before, and goes out, and what, what happens when Peter and Andrew wake up? Hey, where's Jesus? And they come out looking for him. You say, that, that's a good thing. Well, Jesus knew that he needed to get out before anyone else woke up. Now, moms and dads, for some of us, that means us getting up well before our kids get up so that we can have intentional time with God. We are withdrawing ourselves from our habits. Are you in school? Do you have work that requires you to get up early in the morning? Well, if you're gonna follow the pattern of Jesus, you are going to withdraw yourself before you are needed before there is a particular calling on your time, even a profitable calling, even a profitable person, even a specific kind of ministry to which God has ordained you, we must withdraw ourselves. When? Well, Mark 1 tells us that Jesus rose up a great while before day. And there is a biblical pattern of praying in the morning. Listen to Psalm chapter 22 and verse 2. The psalmist says, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Morning prayer. Now, we're gonna be clear. It's not the only time to pray, but it is a very important time. And you can see the autobiographies of great men and women of faith, and they would testify to you. My prayer, I found special times of prayer when I prioritized it as the first part of my day, not the last part of my day. And so notice again, the, the, the highlight here, the main idea is that Jesus withdrew. He separated himself. And you can go through many other passages in our gospel and see where Jesus went to pray when he was alone. He intentionally separated himself in order to pray. And do you know Jesus has the same command to us? In Matthew chapter six, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, the hypocrites, who love to pray very open, flowering prayers so that everyone can see them. And Jesus says, not you. How do you pray? Listen, but you, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast, shut the door. Shut the door. Why? Because he's saying, a lot of things are gonna try to get in the open door. Do you know what tries to, sometimes tries to get in the open door for me? This thing. And I need to make sure that this thing's not around me when it's my time to pray. Because guess what? Even the presence of this thing may indeed be that door that gets cracked open. 
may be that door that now suddenly I'm out of a spirit of prayer and I'm into my regular work day because I'm checking my work email or I'm checking my private email or I'm checking my text messages and suddenly I'm there. Withdraw ourselves. Jesus not only gave us this example but encouraged us when we pray that there are times when we are to shut the door and pray to our Father which is in secret. So notice from Luke chapter 5, the first example of Christ's private prayer is separated prayer. There aren't, I'm not saying there aren't times to pray publicly or pray around people, but there should be a regular practice in our life of separated prayer, hopefully and preferably in the morning, though not exclusively. Secondly, look at an example now of seasonal prayer. Separated prayer and then of seasonal prayer. Turn one chapter over to Luke chapter six. And again, we're just going through a number of, of passages here to try to understand how Jesus prayed privately. Luke chapter six, and notice verse 12. Jesus has just healed a man with a withered hand. And verse 12 tells us it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. So there's separation again. He separated and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them, of this group of disciples, he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, called Zelotes, Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Now, this wasn't morning prayer. It was all night prayer. And what was he doing? It was a particular season of prayer that verse 13 shows us. It was connected to a decision that he had to make. He knew that he was going to be selecting 12 disciples. And so the night before he went out and he prayed all night. And then when it was day, he called together his disciples and said, I'm choosing you 12 out of this multitude. It was a season of decision. Turn ahead to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and look with me at verse number 18. This is after Jesus has fed the 5,000. And now verse 18 tells us, and it came to pass as he was alone praying. There's separated prayer again. He was alone praying. His disciples were with him. Now stop, stop there for just a minute. You say, how does that make sense? Jesus was alone praying and his disciples were with him. That doesn't sound to me like a guy who's alone praying. Can I tell you as a dad of five young kids, I know what it is to be alone praying and your kids are with you? I'm downstairs praying in the morning and guess who shows up? Hey dad, can I get some breakfast? I think that's what's going on. Jesus is alone praying and suddenly his disciples are with him and suddenly... It is time to talk. And notice, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. Do you think it was accidental that Jesus came out of that prayer time and asked them, Who do people say that I am? And ultimately getting to Peter saying, and, and saying to them, But who do you say that I am? Do you think it was accidental that Jesus came out of that time of prayer for a season of teaching, one of the most central messages and convictions that they needed to have about him? I don't. Go on a couple verses in Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 9, verse 28. 
And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, when he had predicted his death and resurrection, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to what? To pray. And then in these next verses, we see the transfiguration of Jesus before them in connection with his private prayer with them. Do you think it was an accident that Jesus took the three of them to go up into a mountain and pray at the central time when he would be revealed in all his glory, his divine character shining through his earthly body? I don't think so. It tells me not only that there were times of prayer, seasons of prayer in times of decision, but there were seasons of prayer in times of particular opportunity for teaching that Jesus intentionally chose to get alone or apart with God in preparation for this season. Go ahead to chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and look with me at verse number 31. Here's another example of Jesus praying, even though he's really testifying to this. Luke chapter 22. And in verse 31, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. What's this an example of? A special season of prayer in a time of need. A time of need, in this case, for someone else, for one of his closest friends, for one of his disciples. Now, I want us to take all of these examples together. Seasons of decision, seasons of teaching, seasons of need. We see this in Luke chapter 3, a passage we didn't look at. Jesus, at his baptism, Luke makes clear that as he goes into the water, he's praying. As he comes up out of the water, he's praying, I should say, and the, and the, and the Holy Ghost comes down on him like a dove. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say this, I think. Not only should our private prayer be marked by regular um, separated prayer, times of solitude, our prayer should be marked by this kind of prayer in seasons of need, in seasons of special decision, in seasons of special ministry opportunity, in seasons when people around us are in need and we need to be interceding on their behalf. Now, I want to be very clear. It was such a powerful thing for me every morning that I can remember, literally every morning, I would wake up to my father coming into his prayer closet and praying and shutting the door and praying. Every morning when he was in town, that was how he handled his regular prayer life. It's a powerful thing. And all of us should have that kind of regular, in my view, separated prayer to start our days with God. But I want to be clear, that is not where our prayer obligation ends. It is not like, oh, I got done with my prayer in the morning. I've checked off my box for the day. What I want to be clear of, there may be special seasons of need in your life where you might pray all night. Or you might go to God and you say, God, I'm going to pray tonight until you tell me to stop because there's a particular season of need that you have put in front of me and I'm going to pray until you tell me to stop. 
there might be a particular time, a particular season of ministry opportunity that you have that you get together with your, uh, with your, with your spouse or with your family or with your um, fellow bus worker or Sunday school teacher and say, you know what, this is going to be a season of prayer. This Saturday we're going to get together and we're going to pray because God has put a particular need in front of us and we need his wisdom. Again, is it good to have regular times of separated prayer in the morning? It is. But let's not let that excuse us. Because in the Gospels, we see Jesus in the beginning of the day. We see him at the end of the day. We see him in the middle of the day. Wherever there was a need, Jesus was willing to commit himself to a particular season of private prayer. To say it another way, we should not allow our regular times of prayer to replace or excuse special seasons of prayer that are going to be very essential because Jesus himself showed us in his example. So notice, first of all, separated prayer on our own, by ourselves, uh, preferably if we can first thing in the morning. But notice seasonal prayer at particular times for particular opportunities. And finally, I want to look at what I'm going to call sympathetic prayer. I think the final lesson we learn, at least that I want to bring out tonight, is what I'm going to call sympathetic prayer. Now, what is this? Sympathetic prayer is answering the question, why did Jesus need to pray? Have you ever wondered why Jesus went out and prayed all night when he was selecting 12 disciples? Do you think Jesus didn't know who he was going to pick? Do you think Jesus only was revealed, it was only revealed to him who he was going to pick at the very end of his season of prayer? I suppose it's possible, but I don't think so. Why do you think Jesus felt the need to say, God, I'm always in communion with you? You know Jesus was always in communion with his father, right? Jesus testified, I always do those things that please him. Always, always. There's, there was never a time when Jesus did not do what pleased his father. What keeps you and I from praying? Sin, Jesus didn't have any of that. Jesus didn't have any spiritual weakness to confess before God and say, God, I desperately need your help to remedy my own spiritual weakness. He had the divine nature in him. So why do we always throughout the gospel see him isolating himself? When did he isolate himself? When he was busy? When did he isolate himself? When he was coming out of great ministry success? You say, like, when? How about when he had just fed the 5,000 and they were clamoring to make him king? And what did he do? He sent them all away. He sent his disciples into a boat and he went up into a mountain to pray. And then his disciples got into a big storm on the water and he came walking on the water to see them. Jesus in busyness, in success, in times of decision, in times of challenge, in other times of teaching. Why did Jesus need to pray? This, we might think, is a mystery until we look at one more passage, I think, in the book of Luke. Turn over to Luke chapter 22, but this one, we're going to look at verse 39. 39. Notice this other period of separated prayer that Jesus had. And he came out, verse 39, and went as he was wont, or as he would often do, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray 
that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. There's separated prayer. And kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. What cup? The cup of his death. The cup of his substitutionary atonement for mankind. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Now I want you to come into this scene. I want you to come into this picture. Jesus is marked, as scripture says, by agony. By the strongest human emotion that you can possibly feel. An emotion so strong that he was sweating drops of blood. It may be that this stress of the agony was actually bursting his capillaries. That he actually was sweating blood. But whatever the the physical explanation for it, you can just picture the agony of soul that he is in as... He is praying. What was he marked by? The strongest possible human desire to look ahead at being made sin for us. The perfectly spotless, pure, sinless one who had never known sin. Looking ahead and saying, I am about to become sin. I'm about to be cloaked in humankind's sin and be separated from fellowship with my father. And that thought was so agonizing to him that he said with this great force, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Have you ever prayed to God with that kind of desire for what you were experiencing in your life? God, I am in a situation right now of agony. And if it were possible, remove this agony from me. That is an intense, agonizing prayer. But notice what Jesus said. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now what's going on here? Well, fast forward a little uh, uh, onward into Luke chapter 23. We're going to see the last two public prayers of Jesus, at least before his death. Verse 33, and they, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said, Jesus, Father, here's prayer, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What's going on there? Fast forward a little bit more. Look at verse 46. As the veil of the temple is rent in the midst Jesus had cried with a loud voice. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died. His last prayer, his last words. What were his last words? His last words were ones of submission. 
Here you have in the garden this prayer of strong desire coupled with humble submission. Not my will, but thine be done. And then on the cross itself, pleading with his father to forgive those who were mistreating him. And then ultimately saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. His strong desire gave way to humble submission to the will of his father. The victory that Jesus won on the cross was first won at Gethsemane when his strong desire was brought into harmony with the will of his Father. And you see, why do I bring this passage out? It's for this reason. Because we need to start replacing our view that private prayer is primarily about getting things from God. We need to replace our idea that private prayer is particularly about at making supplication of God. Now, is that part of private prayer? Yes, it is. But what we need to see is that this is not the central example, if you will, of Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer is not only about supplication to God, but about submission before God. It is not simply about, about seeing what God gives to me, but it is about me coming into tune with God. And the best example that I can give is a principle of physics. You've heard of it. It's called sympathetic vibration or sympathetic resonance. Now, what is sympathetic resonance? It is simply this. When you have one object that is oscillating, that is vibrating at a particular frequency, when you bring another object that has the same frequency next to it, what will that object do? It will begin vibrating as well. In fact, if you were to take a tuning fork and you were to strike that tuning fork at A equals 440 and you were to take another tuning fork that had, had not been struck and you would bring it up, tuned to A440, next to that tuning fork, it would start vibrating. You would start hearing it at the same frequency. It too would be producing an A. Do you know the same thing is true in this organ? If I were to go back there and I were to pull out the 32-foot resultant pipe and I were to play a low D, this entire church would start rumbling. And it would start rumbling not because, first and foremost, of the sound, because you can make loud noises on the organ that don't cause the church to rumble. It would be because this, um, there are things in this sanctuary that resonate at the frequency that that low pipe is making. And you would actually hear the walls begin to resonate and to rumble. In fact, this is true uh, of bridges. There actually, I read about this historically. There was a bridge in London called the Broughton Suspension Bridge. It was an iron chain suspension bridge that was built in 1826, one of the first uh, suspension bridges in Britain. And one day in 1831, 74 British soldiers went marching over that bridge and they began marching over that bridge and they began, actually news accounts of that day when they did investigation of it found that those soldiers realized that the bridge started vibrating with them as they were marching. And so they started apparently whistling and, and continuing like, wow, this is kind of cool, until one of them got to the, they, they got to near the end of the bridge and suddenly, the, um, uh, yeah, here's the quote, a sound resembling an irregular discharge of firearms, a crack, and the bridge collapsed. 
and 20 or so, no, none of the soldiers died, but apparently um, a number of them were fairly severely injured from that bridge. What happened? They, as they began marching, their vibration of their footsteps matched the vibration, the natural frequency of the vibration of the bridge, and it collapsed. You know, actually, after that point, the British Army put an order that when soldiers cross bridges, they break step. They do not march in lockstep so that this kind of vibration doesn't happen again. You know the old joke about opera singers being able to shatter windows or shadow, uh, uh, shatter wine glasses? Do you know it's true? They actually can. Each, each glass, each of those glasses, like those fancy uh, long stem glasses, has a resonance that it vibrates. If you were to lick your finger and you were to put it around the top of the, of the glass, you would hear that pitch is the pitch it vibrates at. If you were to sing that pitch at over 100 decibels, which is very hard to do, that, uh, for a couple seconds, that glass might break because it cannot take the natural frequency. Again, why am I belaboring this point? I'm belaboring it for this reason. Because God has a principle by which things in our world vibrate and other things sympathetically vibrate with them. And my point simply is this. Jesus showed us that he prayed in private so that he could come, if you will, into sympathetic vibration, sympathetic resonance with his Father. Look at what happened at Gethsemane. God, if Father, if this thing can pass, let it pass. And what is he doing in prayer? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And now the two tuning forks are perfectly on the same note resonating and vibrating and off Jesus goes in perfect harmony and oneness with his father. Now, was he ever out of harmony with his father? No, but he was bringing his own human feelings, his own human emotions, his own human um, uh, 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 view of what was coming before him and bringing it to feeling what his father was feeling. Now, why do I say that? Because when you ask, why was Jesus going all night and praying? Why was Jesus spending all night in prayer? Why was he going out into the wilderness when he was so busy? Why was he going out here when he was having such great success? Isn't it in part this answer? That he recognized that each one of those periods of busyness, seasons of challenge in his life, in each of those, he needed to ensure that he was constantly, if you will, resonating with his father, continually communing and coming into fellowship with him, coming, making sure that at all times he was in tune with him. Now, what does that mean for the way that you and I pray? It means how central is it that in our seasons of life, not only day by day, but in special seasons, we need to start vibrating with God on the same page. I see this when I'm busy. As I said this morning, what happens when we get busy? We get too busy to pray. But what happens when we're busy? 
we start focusing on our busyness. We start thinking that what we're busy with really is most important in life. That really is what we need to prioritize. And suddenly we get out of vibration with God. We're out of step with him. God's tuning fork is over here. And mine's on a different frequency over here. And then I get with God and I get away from my busyness. And I get away from my times And I get solitary with God and suddenly we start vibrating on the same frequency again and I'm ready to go back out into the world and start ministering again. I'm ready to re-enter what God has me to do. Do you know this is true in all our human relationships? Tabitha and I were just talking about our date nights and she made the comment, when we go out, can we talk? Can we make sure that we, we talk? And I knew exactly what she was saying because when we're busy, There are times that we can be together, but maybe we're busy together or we're doing things together and we're not really talking in the way that two human beings need to talk to get on the same page, to to vibrate at the same frequency, to really feel that connection, like we're really together in this, we're really on the same page. And there are those times when we, husband and wife, need to get together and they just need to be alone and talking. They need to have the tuning fork vibrating at the same frequency. And it's the exact same thing in your relationship with God. Prayer is not just a means for you to get things from God that you need. It's a way to get apart from all the noise of the world, of all the busyness that you have around you, and ensure that you are vibrating with God. You are in connection and fellowship with him. You say, Pastor Peter, how do I do that? Well, you have two wonderful sources to make sure that you can vibrate with God. The first is this. You have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit brings the very person of God to bear witness to you. His spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are the child of God. That means that when you go to pray, your prayer should be, Spirit of God, let me be in tune with you. Spirit of God, let me vibrate with you. I will tell you a prayer that I often pray when I get on my knees. I say, Spirit of God, bring me into the presence of my Father right now. And it's amazing when I oftentimes, how often I pray that, and it's just as if I I have said, okay, I'm there. I'm there. I'm ready to commune with him. So you have an inner witness every time you pray, every time you can come into communion with God. But not just that, you have an external witness. You have the very word of God to meditate on, to bring in front of you, and to have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit interpret and explain the word of God to you so that you begin a conversation with God. You are reading the Bible and God is speaking to you by the Holy Spirit. And then you are taking that word and you are speaking it back to him. And you are using what he is speaking to you to start talking to him about situations in your life, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, what's going on at church, what's going on at work, what's going on in your neighborhood. And you're taking the word of God as you're reading it and allowing God to speak to you And then you use that to speak back to him in prayer for whatever is going on that you need. And as you get into this habit, as you get into this practice of not just going down a laundry list of prayer requests, God, give me this, God, give me this, God, give me this, but you are seeking consciously to separate yourself from the stress of the world and come into the fellowship with God so that you can vibrate with him, so that you are feeling the same thing that he is, so that you are connecting and communing with him. 
you will start to, uh, to experience, you will start to realize the power of prayer that Jesus came to give us an example of. Now, there's one more thing that I just want to encourage you with when it comes to this matter of prayer. We use the word sympathetic, sympathy. Do you know what that word means? Sympathy comes from a, two root words that means to feel with, to feel with. We sympathize with someone when we feel with them. We feel the same thing that they do. So when I sympathize with God, I am feeling the same thing that he is feeling toward a particular person or toward a particular responsibility. And I say this because in Hebrews chapter four, one of the greatest encouragements we have is this passage in chapter four and verse 15. Scripture says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like was we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I wanna just make one point to you. Verse 15 says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Do you know what Greek word is used there? It's a Greek word, sympatheo. What English word do you think is connected to that word, sympatheo? Sympathy. In fact, you would find this in some translations translated, we don't have a high priest that cannot sympathize with the feeling of our infirmities. I want you to think about that principle of sympathetic vibration. I want you to think about when you come to the throne of God and you're vibrating about something, you've got a need, you've got a stress, you've got something that's going on in your life and your heart is vibrating about it. I wanna tell you what the Bible is telling you. When you come to Jesus Christ and you're vibrating about that, guess what his heart is doing? It's vibrating. It's vibrating with yours. He is touched, he sympathizes, he is communing with you in your own vibration, in your own strong feeling. And what does he say? Let us therefore, for that reason, in faith, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus showed us that he came to prayer to vibrate with his father. And he's telling us in his word, child, you come to me vibrating and I will vibrate with you and ultimately I will give you mercy and grace to help in your time of need. You see, prayer is so much more than coming to God with a laundry list. Prayer is about coming to sympathize, to vibrate, to fellowship, to commune with God and know that when we are speaking to him, he is willing to vibrate and sympathize and commune with us. I don't know about you friends, but that makes me wanna get up a little earlier tomorrow and go spend some time with God trying to make sure I'm on the same wavelength before I start my day. That makes me want to, when I have a particular need in my ministry and my work, to make sure that even if it's not just in the morning, maybe it's at evening, I might need to step away from what's making me busy and spend some time in the word and with the spirit of God to make sure that I'm vibrating with him. And do you know ultimately by faith what that means? 
it means that you and I will be taught by the example of Jesus's private prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you that his example of separating himself, not just regularly, but in special seasons of prayer, and then ultimately of submitting to the will of his Father. What an example that is. What, is an, what an encouragement to us that is. And Father, there, are so mu- there is so much busyness in all of our lives that would keep us from praying, that would keep us from getting on the same wavelength as you are. But Father, what greater need is there? What greater need is there than to be on the same wavelength as you are? So Father, let not busyness keep us away from prayer, but let busyness drive us to prayer. Let busyness be that which forces us to our knees and into our prayer closets and away from all the stresses. Father, help us to pursue these very critical spiritual disciplines in sensitivity to your Holy Spirit and to his direction. 